with us over the last few weeks, you'll know that we've been doing a series here in the book of Romans. And the passage this morning is called like Righteous Justice because it goes well with our passage here in chapter 2 of the book of Romans. What I want to do is just spend a couple minutes real quick going through like last week, and since number you may not have been here, just give you an idea of what we were mostly dealing with back then we were doing it. In that passage last time, it talked about what we call natural theology. I think I just lost it. No, I'm back back. Natural theology. It was this idea of God has kind of hardwired us to believe that there's something greater than ourselves, that there is some someone who is made powerful, and and then talked about the fact how God has used that, given every person at least some sense that there's some creator who's greater and more wonderful. And then we talked about from there, we moved on from there, talking about how important it is. He talks about judging others and not judging ourselves. How easy it is for start saying for another person, well, that person is bad, or this person's thing, without asking the question, what about me? Am I facing God's judgment? And the third thing that we talked about is he talked about how people turn to so many different types of evil and how evil can just spread so quickly and so fast and the impact that it has. And so we're going this morning, we're picking up this very last verse here in this chapter of chapter 1. And it's a great way, he has kind of a segue in this passage, and it goes this way. Although, he's speaking about people, mankind, men and women who have turned away from God. He said, although they know full well God's just sentence, that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but they even applaud others who practice them. He's saying, if evil is not bad enough, sometimes people encourage more evil in the lives of people. And then that segues to the passage that we have this morning in Romans chapter 2. And if you have your Bible, you're welcome to take it out. I'm using the Holman Christian Standard on this one, so it may be a couple words may be different than what you're used to. But in this passage, it's a relatively short passage and compared to some of the other ones we've done. But it's a very important passage and particularly has one issue that's cri critically important for us to be able to understand and grasp if we're going to understand what Paul is saying here. And so we're going to pick this up here in this next chapter in verse 1, in chapter 2. And he says, therefore, it's often said, you know, if you hear that word therefore, you want to know what it's there for. Here at the therefore is making this transition from talking about this. And he goes, now, therefore, any one of you who judges is without excuse. For when you judge another, you condemn yourself, since you or the judge do the same things. He's saying, you know, a lot of times we think, oh, that person's bad. They need to be judged. But... We're kind of slow at saying, what about me? What are the areas where I have done wrong? Where are the areas where I have sinned? I mean, it's really easy to judge other people. When it comes to ourselves, well, that's a whole nother story. And he says, you condemn yourself since you, the judge, do the same thing. And he goes, therefore, any one of you who judges is without excuse. And what Paul is doing here, uh, particularly in the Greek culture of which he was coming out of, it, also, of course, the Jewish culture, but particularly with the Greeks, one of the things that they did a lot was what we call a diatribe. We don't use that word much. Sometimes you'll say, oh, man, that guy went on a long diatribe and he was mad and da-da-da-da. But it's not a word we use a lot, but it was a word that was used a lot. Diatribe, very much we get that word diatribe out of Greek. And what it is... It's the idea that you've got a person out there that you're talking to, even if they're not there. Now, if you're out standing on the, you know, in the road, and you're sitting there saying, buddy, you're really an idiot, and, and there's nobody there, people think, oh, he's kooky, and I'm going to walk fast so I get away from this guy. Okay? But the diatribe that he's using here is like, 
a pretend man. It's kind of like saying, um, uh, you're, he, Paul's talking to the invisible man. And he's like pretending that that man is standing there. He's actually talking to all the people. That, and, but he's saying, it's a diatribe. It's where he's saying, here's what's going on. And so he's kind of speaking to that person. And so what he says here is, therefore, going back to the verse, any one of you who judges is without excuse. For when you judge another, you condemn yourselves, since you, the judge, do the same thing. They're saying, boy, we're all bad at that. We're quick to judge others, not quick to judge ourselves. But notice what he does this. He says, we know that God's judgment on those who do such things is based on truth. Now, that's kind of a strange phrase. It's like, duh, if he's God, you would think he would be you know, truthful. And he is. And of course, making this point that one of the things we know about God, his attributes, that which we know it's clear who he is, it's about God and it's saying he's truthful. We are not always truthful. Sometimes it's kind of like a partial lie or sort of like a lie, or maybe you thought it was a lie, but the reality is it was a lie. But saying the one thing you can count on from God is he's truthful. And he's saying in that these things are based on the truth. You can bet on it. When God tells you and it's true, it is true. You don't have to spend one minute wondering if God is true when he says something to us. And so he says that in verse 2, and he goes on in next 3. Verse 3, do you really think any one of you who judges those who do such things yet do the same that are going to escape God's judgment? He's saying, oh, you think other people are doing bad things, and those people ought to be judged, and those people need to be put down, and da-da-da, say, whoa, 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 wait a minute, stop. What about you? Well, let's not talk about me. Let's talk about all those other people that are doing bad things. Paul says, no, let's talk about all of us, all of us sinners, all of us who have turned away from God. And what Paul's doing near now, he's starting to set up this whole story of what he's talking about, and he's going to be talking about the fact of saying God is make, helping us to understand that all of us have sinned. All of us experience, can experience judgment from God. And so he says, you do the things, yet you do the same. And you think you're going to escape God's judgment? Now we're not exactly clear if there's like a particular group he's looking at. Most likely he's looking at his own Jewish people. In the next passage, in ver I mean, next verse, in chapter, I mean, next in verse four, he's going to come to this again, because he's realizing that particularly the Jewish people, maybe them who've already now come to faith in Christ and they're growing in faith, he's saying to him, you know, you guys need to be really careful here, because I know, you know, I'm Jewish, Paul says, and I know you Jewish people, I know, he said, you know, and you look down upon a lot of these Gentiles, the non-Jewish people, and you think, they're yicky, and, you know, they don't like the foods they eat, and they eat pork, you know, and they do these really crazy things, and we're, thank God we're not like those kind of people. And Paul's going to say, really? You are those people. He's saying, oh, you're thinking, well, you know, but you don't understand. My great, 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 great grandfather goes all the way back to Abraham when God told him to go and to start and go here and I'm going to make you a great nation. He's saying, we are the chosen people. And they are. And they were. And they are. And his point is saying, oh, well, you think that because that you're, you're bulletproof, right? Because you've got that heritage that goes back generation to generation. Well, yeah, sort of. Paul says, no, I'm Jewish, but I'm telling you, all of us are going to have to deal with this issue of judgment. So notice what he says. He says, or do you 
despised the riches, talking about God, of his kindness, restraint, and patience, patience, not recognizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance. This verse is very, very important. Notice what he's saying here. Well, he's not saying it here. Uh, he was saying it. In fact, let's all turn our chairs sideways. No, let's not. I'll read it for you. You don't have to crack, crick, have your crick in your neck here, but I'll read it. It goes this way. Or do you despise the riches of his kindness, restraint, and patient, not recognizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance? This is a very, very important verse because it's telling us something about the character of God. It's saying, God is not saying, yeah, they're a bunch of bad people, they're bad things. I can't wait until I can smash them, grind them into the dirt. It's just the opposite. God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance. Not to hurt you, but for you to come to know God and to know him now who he is. God's intended to lead you to repentance. This word is very important that's used here. In the Old Testament, we've talked before that a lot of times when the word that we talk about in Hebrew is called shuv. It's like this idea, I'm walking, you're doing it wrong. That's shuv. You're going back the other way. The New Testament, they do this other word, metanoia. It has kind of like two kind of meanings of it. One of it is saying, you know, I've changed my mind. I was going this way, but I've changed my mind. I'm not going to do that. But the other thing that goes with that is also important. It's change of what we do. In other words, it might, it's one enough to say, yeah, you know what? I've changed my mind about who Jesus is, but I'm not going to follow him. But what's happening in this passage is saying, wait a minute. When it means that we're turning back, he said, using this word metanoia, it's talking about the fact is not only that, but I'm changing my lifestyle. I'm changing what I'm doing. In other words, there's a turning around, both in our mind and in our actions as well. And so Paul's saying, do you despise the riches of his kindness, restraint, and patience, recognizing that God's uh, kindness is intended to lead you to repentance? Okay, because it's very important saying, what is the character of God? Does he judge? Yes. Does, judge, does God delight in it? No, he doesn't. The verse that probably most people in this room know is this verse that is very, very important. John 3.16, he gave his one and only son, talking about Jesus, so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. God's desire is that people would come to know him in faith. He doesn't, you know, like say, oh, I'm so glad I can get somebody else. It's saying, here's what God's done for you. And he's saying, whoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. But then he says, he goes on with this passage. He says, but because of your hardness and unrepentant heart, you're storing up wrath for yourselves in the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment is revealed. He's saying, there is judgment. And you don't need to be experiencing it. You don't need to experience it if you recognize, hey, I've sinned like all of us have. I've gone the wrong way. And in Hebrew, it's like, I got to shuv. Or if you want to do it that way, it's talking about, I've got to be able to metanoia. I need to turn in my actions and in my understanding. And he said, because that day, you don't want to have to deal with that. And so notice what he says. He says, he will repay each one according to his works. And here's where it gets real interesting. Stay with me. When I hear that word, he will repay each one according to his works, I start twitching and having struggles 
because I'm a good Protestant and I've learned you are saved by God's grace through faith alone and it's not by works lest we should boast. I mean, there's one thing that we know about the Apostle Paul. There's probably no apostle ever, any, any time during this early church thing who did any better job than explaining that we are saved not by our works, by what Christ has done for us, by the fact that we are having given new life in Christ. The Apostle Paul is all about grace through faith. And we're so thankful for that. I mean, that's just the core of the gospel, that we are saved by God's grace, by his faith, and he, by faith, and it's such an important thing. And if you're a good Protestant, you ought to have this whole understanding. It's not by my merits, but by the merits of Christ, who has given us relationship with him so that we can be with him. And so this is an important thing, but a lot of people go, whoa, whoa, whoa. What do you mean he's going to repay us according to our works? He just told us you're not saved by works, you're saved by God's grace. So what's this all about? And this, to be honest with you, has made some people really, really weird about it and concerned about it because it seems like Paul is speaking out of two different sides of his mouth. One is saying, it's all by grace, but it's also by works. And people go, what, what's he talking about here? So stay with me, because even though this is a short passage, it is critical to understand what he is saying. So let's go right jump into it again. The whole thing with works, we've got to be very careful saying, in what way are you describing works and what does that mean? And that's what we want to focus on here. Because what we've seen is Paul's been very, very clear. This is a verse that many of you in the room know this. If you don't, it'd be a good word for you, uh, passage for you to, to hear. It says, this is Ephesians chapter 2, 8 to 10. He said, for you are saved by grace. We just sang that song, grace, grace, grace. I won't sing it for you because I love you, okay? Grace, grace, grace. Michael, you can sing it, but I'm not, okay? For you are saved by grace. How? Through faith. This is not from yourself. Again, it's not my merit. It's Christ's good love for us. It's God's gift, not from works, so that no one can boast. Okay, so in other words, we make sure we absolutely, positively understand what he's saying. We are not brought into a right relationship with God by what we do but only what Christ has done for us. We are saved by God's grace through faith, not by our actions, but by his mercy. Okay, that is something, that's the pillar that we got to stand by. But then you go, well then why did Paul say that strange verse the very next time? He said, so not for work so that no one can boast. Okay, okay, I got it, I got it. But then you come and you listen to this passage and here's what Jesus said. He says, I will repay each one according to his works. So what is the role of works? Well, we say, well, there's nothing. There's no role for works. And then Paul says, oh, yes, there is. It's by using works in a different sense. You cannot use works to come to relation with Christ. It's by God's grace through faith, period. But he's saying there is a role for works. It's not works that are going to save you because you've already come to faith in Christ by God's grace. But he said, but does some hap things happen when you come to know Christ as a Savior? For example, let me give you a couple illustrations. Take it from Jesus himself. Uh, Matthew chapter 5, that beautiful passage, the Sermon on the Mount. He, Jesus is talking to his men, and he said, in the same way, let your light shine before men, so they may see your good works and give glory to God. Now stop right there. 
Jesus said, so they may see your good works. He doesn't say, so you can get saved by doing good works. That is not at all what Jesus is saying, and it's certainly not what the Apostle Paul is saying. But notice what he's saying, that they may see your good works. What is Jesus saying? He's saying, when you come to God to, by God's grace, and you've understood the gospel, that I'm not saved by works, I'm saved by God's grace through faith, I've got that. He's saying, great, you're one of my followers, you're a believer, but what I want you to understand is, and now that you've come to faith in Christ, I want you to be able to use the gifts that I've given you. I want you to be able to be a person that people see the love of Christ in your life. So that's why he says, so they can see good works. You're using works in a good sense and to give glory to God. To go to another passage, John chapter 3. But anyone who lives by the truth comes to the light so that his works may be shown to be accomplished by God. Once again, Paul, or excuse me, John is not saying you can earn your salvation by your works. John would say, oh, no way, that can't happen. We're saved by God's grace through faith, period. No discussion, okay? He's saying, but when you come to Christ by faith, God is making a new person out of you. And what he's doing is going to involve you taking what God has given you and the gifts that he's given you and the strength he's given you to have an impact on the life of this and in this world. Here's another one. Let's go to another third passage. One of the most famous ones we know, Ephesians 2.10. Paul writes this, for we are his creation, created in Christ Jesus, notice this phrase, for good works. But it's not works to be saved. It's works that flow out of a person who's received new life in Christ. And out of that, wants to have an impact in the lives of those around him. So when people say works are bad, it's like, whoa, whoa, stop. What kind of works are you talking about? Well, talking about works of getting saved, that's all by God's grace through faith, period. That's the end of story. But he's saying, when you come to faith in Christ, he doesn't want to say, well, why don't you just sit around and do nothing for the rest of your life? Jesus is saying, great, I'm so glad you're one of my followers. Now, why don't you follow me? And I'm going to prepare you for a journey like you're not going to believe. And so he says, Jesus, Jesus said, for good works, which God prepared ahead of time that you should walk in him. God has prepared your works. Your works has not saved you. It's by God's grace. But he's saying the works now as a believer. He said, you're going to walk in him. In other words, I'm going to pick you up in this new life and God's going to use you. This is very, very important because if you don't make that distinction between salvation, which is by God's grace through faith, and works, which are done by that of a believer who is showing who God is and using what God has given us to make a distinction in what's going on in our lives. So put it this way, if you look at it in two different ways. You can say salvation, it's very clear. It is by grace through faith, period. Period. But also, as we come to faith in Christ, as we know who he is, He's saying works are an evidence of the believer's walk in Christ. That's what happens. And, you know, it's very important because what we're seeing here, it keeps saying, when he talks about this passage, we page according to his works, and he talks about this, but he talks about here about these things by glory and honor and peace and everyone who does first to the Jew and to the Greek. But notice what he's doing here when he talks about this. Um, so let me go back, go back here. He's making this very clear when he talked about this, saying, watch what's going on here. 
When the person uses the word works, ask him, in what sense are you using it? If you're talking about works in the sense of having a relationship with God, it's pure mercy, pure grace. If you're talking about works that comes out of a life of a person who's a believer, that's a totally different story. And you can't confuse those two. Works are for those, for, you know, what, what we do as believers out of our love for Christ. Out of the fact that Jesus tells us to go. He doesn't tell us to sit, he tells us to go, to, to work, to do what he's called us to do. And so it is important that we can able to understand that distinction between the two different ways when we use the word works. Okay? The reality of judgment, one of the things we come out of this passage is he talks about the fact there is going to be a judgment. And he's saying we as believers don't have to fear it because we have been saved by God's grace through faith, not by our works or our merits, but purely by the mercy of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the great thing that we have. By the way, sometimes if you're talking to a person about the Lord and they say, well, you know, I, you know, I, I don't really believe in judgment because, you know, my God is a loving God. Okay, well, you know, that's true. That's absolutely true. Our God is a loving God. But often what I'll do, if I've had a few times when this happened, where I'll say, well, tell me, in what person talks most about judgment in the New Testament, would you say? And they'll say, oh, well, very clear, it's Jesus who talks about it. Some people say, well, I don't really like that. I don't know whether you like it or not, but I'm just telling you what the passage is. Jesus talks more about judgment than any of the other apostles. So if you're saying, well, I don't like that part of it, saying, well, you all say, go, go talk to Jesus about it, because he's the one that talked more about that than any of the apostles. So the reality is, it's saying, it's not just Paul who's making this up. Well, God's going to judge you at the last gate, all this kind of stuff. It's saying, Jesus is saying this. And so in other words, we can't say, well, it's just Paul, Paul remote, you know, made this up. He's making it very clear that it came right from Jesus about what he's saying. But there's another thing I want us to notice here. This thing in works, I, I'm sorry that you feel maybe I'm hammering it too much, but you've got to get it clear because it can get very, very confusing if you don't. When Paul talks about here, what he's saying is the gospel changed things, including us. That's very important. The gospel changed things. Jesus did not save us so we could just sit around and sulk or be an idiot, spend your time on the internet, he said, great, I'm glad you've come to me for salvation by grace through faith. Now, let me enable you to be able to have an impact on the lives of people that may go on for an eternity. That's crucially important. The gospel changed things. And the question is, in which way are you being changed? What does he want to do? Now, there's things we've got to be very careful here. Jesus said, you'll know them by their fruit. And uh, it's very, I understand what Jesus is saying. He's saying, you'll know, you know, by their character, their lifestyle, you'll know whether this person probably a believer or not. But you've got to be really careful because some people go too far. We say they become fruit inspectors. Well, I don't think that person's working hard enough, or they're not trying enough, or I don't think they're going to church too much. And we become fruit pickers, I mean, fruit, you know, inspectors. That's one danger. The other danger you can do is go this other way. Yes, maybe we have to ask sometimes some people some really que hard questions. For example, you know, is there any evidence of this person of the new birth? Many people said that one of the worst things that's happened in American evangelicalism is we have a person say, hey, do you believe Jesus? Yeah, sure, why not? I believe in Jesus. 
great you're in everything is wonderful isn't it good great hey you want to be part of this and help no when's the last time in church never when I was saying wait a minute wait a minute it's saying is there maybe times where there's people that we say who if you ask them, are you a Christian oh yeah I'm a Christian really um, in what way is God using you in your gifts uh, he's not I guess are you trying no When's the last time in church? Oh, it was, you know, 60 years ago. Oh, I see. Uh, but, you know, we're afraid sometimes to ask that question when maybe and sometimes we need to ask. The gospel changes people. And when there is no change and we're dealing with people, there are times we need to ask, say, are you sure that maybe you've come to a point where you understand the gospel? Now, it could be. I had this happen maybe once for somebody when I said something like that. They didn't like me asking that. But you know, wouldn't it be better just to ask them that and have them maybe be a little mad at you than not ask at all? Because maybe there's times we have to be, speak up and say, you know, you, you tell me you're a believer. Is, can you give me anything that would make me believe that you're a believer? And if not, could we talk about it? Maybe you're not understanding it fully. Could we discuss it? And I'd say, be very careful. You've got to be very careful when you do this because people can get easily hurt. But the reality is, I'd rather have them maybe mad at me than not speak up to them and say, are you sure you understand what the gospel truly is? We don't want to be in a situation where we're going around saying, well, I don't think this person is good enough. God is going to deal with that. But there are times where we may need to speak up and say, do you sure you understand what Christ has done and what he's doing he wants to do in you. And he's saying, gospel changes people. It changes people. The question is, how is God changing you? If you're a believer here, you've trusted in God's grace by faith and you know that you're a believer in Christ, what is God doing and wanting to do in your life that's going to have an impact? Because the gospel changes things and it changes people and what is God calling you to do not because you're trying to earn your salvation you can't earn it all you can do is receive it when you come to works in terms of following Christ then it's Lord I'm your servant what can I do show me and I will follow you our father we thank you for this passage we realize it's got a difficult one in it, but short but we thank you for it. We thank you that we are saved by God's grace through faith and not of ourselves. We thank you that when we come to faith, that, Father, you are there to prepare us to have an impact on the lives of the war many people, that they can know what you would have us to do in serving you. Father, we pray for our church. We thank you for your goodness to us. And we would pray, Father, that we would be a, a congregation of men and women and boys and girls who know very clearly when we talk about works that one is about coming to salvation and the other one is about following you, Lord Jesus. Help us to be able to reach out to those that you've called us to be able to serve to share the good news with them. Be with us, Lord, now we pray as we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. would stand with us we're going to sing in response to the message two um, songs that cause us to think
and prepares for the table. Depth of mercy. Depth of mercy can there be Mercy reaching even me God the just his wrath forbears Me the chief of sinners spares So many times my heart has strayed From his kind 